Thank you for joining the Dark Light Podcast. Here at the Dark Light Podcast, you will find information about the absolute truth. Hang on tight as we go to discover the light in the darkness. The Tao of Time, what Bible scholars don't want you to know. Chapter 7. Wisdom's Truth. Absolute truth is revealed through the spirit of truth. The truth is found in silence. The intangibles, love, joy, and gratitude, spring forth from the fountain of inner beauty. We cannot contain it in a formula. We cannot measure it in a bottle. It is formed from the formless. It is being created from non-being. It is the substance which is made real through faith in the unseen, the truth. From the beginning that has no beginning and the end that has no end, from the circle of the roundness, give us your power, O Great Spirit. From the Lakota Rain Dance Prayer. All people the world over have considered wisdom to be essential to the preservation of culture and hence life itself. The wisdom keepers of all societies have been overlooked and ridiculed only to be later recognized as great sources of knowledge and truth. The notion of evil, something sinister lurking in the shadows, has been an active ingredient in all societies. Many ideas and superstitions have been created in an effort to guide the masses. Fear of the unknown is one of the strongest emotions which we know. Interject the elements of an unknown which is evil, dark, and potentially fatal, and we are sitting at attention on pins and needles. Why? The mystery of the dark unknown has captivated minds and imagination from the beginning of time. Curiosity killed the cat. We are all curious. Being inquisitive, we wander in and out of reality. When we find something which we can 
can't quite explain, we lock on and start asking questions, probing, creating possibilities, fantasy and reality begin to merge. Enter the world of nightmares, the ultimate unknown. The mystery of evil. Where did it come from? Where is it taking us? What is it? All of these questions haunt our subconscious minds only to become the things that nightmares are made of. The truth and evil seem at odds with each other. One, the antagonist, the other, the protagonist. We sense evil because we realize the good in life. Love's counterpart is malevolent, bad, evil. We first called it con or con or cane cannibal the ultimate destroyer of mankind the Vatican serpent destroyer from time immemorial the conception of evil has had a place in our thinking. The words of language hold very strange and strong similarities for good and evil. The close ties in the words of language itself gives us little insight into the mystery within a mystery. The word Lucifer, light bearer, has its origin in the beginning of mystery. Used only once in the scriptures, the word Lucifer has held generations of people spellbound, not knowing what to believe. And God said, let there be light. Genesis chapter 1. The truth is hiding in the word. To grasp the true meaning of all things, silence is the first step in finding the sameness. It is in the sameness that we find the eternal truth. The words for negative, no, not, in Chinese, all are similar in that they have the letter S or the sign of the serpent crisscrossed over double trees, indicating death, to die, to lose, or to become one with death. All languages 
have hidden ideas of truth in the letters and pictures, hence the words themselves, reveal the meaning of the words. The concept presented in the serpent, talker, liar of Genesis is universally seen in the Chinese character for the words foreigner, not, and no. The tree with the serpent and woman being tricked into taking forbidden fruit is clearly stated in the symbol and characters which are used by the Oriental peoples. The many explanations which are sometimes cited as being the source of the etymology of these words are based in Buddhist concepts and beliefs which are not contemporary with the writing itself. Hence, some older source is warranted for the correct explanation of these words. The word Hades is a Greek word. In fact, the principal ruler or gatekeeper of the Greek-Roman myth of the underworld of the dead is named Hades. Hades has been translated into the Roman English word hell. The entire Hades-Persephone myth is a great mythological labyrinth of a world inhabited by those who have died. The so-called good people and the so-called bad people, the entire underworld concept is an Egyptian Greek tale. This fact is overlooked by the Bible translators, and hence the fundamentalist Christian camp insist that the dead and departed go to a world of consciousness and life, which is at best a myth, which is not supported by the Old Testament of the grave, which is the model presented. But the Christian world blindly insists that the human soul slash spirit is immortal and hence needs to go somewhere at death. Now, the fundamentalists insist that the souls of the bad people go to hell or purgatory. This concept of some people going up and some people going down is not supported by the Greek concept of hell or Hades. All people go down into Hades. Hades.
the good people go to one side of Hades to await the judgment. And the bad people go to the other side to await their punishment. The concept of Hades is completely mythical. And yet, millions of Christians insist that the Bible's mention of such concepts in the Greek proves the reality of the myth. Let's take a look. Let's understand that the Greek concept of body-soul separation is not contained in the words of Hebrew or the Occidental language systems. So, it is incomprehensible that the concepts discussed in the Greek language and myths can ever be conformed with the language of the Hebrews, which has no words to indicate life and consciousness after death in any form. In the Oriental thinking of non-separation of body-soul, we can trace the reason why the emperors of China destroyed the four colors of the universe, hence the four systems of ancestral worship, and burned all the books on mythology and history. The Greeks, who borrowed ideas from many different sources and cultures, attempted to create a cosmology which could incorporate all of the different deities and come that came along with the different philosophies. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom, therefore, ye ignorantly worship. Him declare I unto you. Acts seventeen, twenty-two. The idea that is put forward by many of today's Christian camps is that the Christian apostles were influenced to adopt Greek thinking and hence Greek philosophies. But the words of Scripture deny this. Furthermore, time and time again, the differences between the theology of the Greeks and the Christians perspectives are contrasted by the apostles who were Roman and Jewish in descent and learning. The fact is also overlooked by the translators who attempt 
to equate Greek renderings of words with those of the Hebrew, which cannot be done. The complex can never be fitted inside the simple. Likewise, the Greek meaning of words can never fit completely into the Hebrew monotheistic cosmology. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were carried along by the Holy Ghost. Second Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. The first fact, which is again ignored by the Bible translators and the fundamentalist camp, is as well is the fact that the word hell is an English version of a word in Greek. Hades is not the only word translated as hell in the King James Version of the Bible. In other words, the idea that the Hades of the Greek is always the hellfire of the New Testament writers is an oversight of monumental proportions. The myth of an eternal burning place of torment is foreign to the Bible writers. But the myth of Greek origin called Hades and translated by the translators as hell has been twisted so that the word and the words themselves have been misapplied by the translators of the Bible. The translators fail to tell the reader that A, the word hell is not the word in Greek. B, the Greek word Hades is not a place, but a mythical person. C, the myth of the land of the dead is the Egyptian Osiris myth. D, the word hell is translated from many words, phrases of Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic sources. If I said, you are going to Death Valley in California, you might say, that's hell for sure. But neither of us would conclude that Death Valley is a mythical place. Although we would have used a phrase, hell for sure, to describe it, a real place in the California desert.
And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shalt be brought down to hell. Hades, for if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty three. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Matthew eleven twenty four. Now, the Jude 7 verse lets us know that Sodom was consumed, burnt up by the everlasting fire from eternal God. Jesus the Christ is saying that the wickedness of Capernaum was worse than the wickedness of Sodom. The comparison of easy and hard in the day of judgment is one consistent within the Hebrew idea of punishment. Notice that Jesus condemns a whole town to hell, the Greek mythological place called Hades. What the translators fail to see is that in the revelations, Hades itself is thrown into the lake of fire. Hence, the Sodom destruction is an example of future world destruction by eternal God-fire. So, a real town is condemned to a mythical place which in the future will be destroyed in the lake of fire created by fire coming down from God out of heaven. Hell is not on fire now, not even the mythical story of the Greek is this the case. This is one way the word Hades is used in the Bible and translated hell by the translators. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whosoever shall say, Ruka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Matthew five, twenty-two. Here, in the phrase, hell fire, Jesus is speaking in Aramaic. But the word he uses is a Hebrew root word, Gehenna. As a matter of fact, it was the actual name of a place, 
a valley whose counterpart is known as Death Valley. This means that Jesus did not say the words hell fire. So these two words, hell and fire, are not even used by the Greeks or Jesus concurrently. Furthermore, the actual word Jesus used was not even a Greek word. It was a Hebrew name of an actual real valley. So now we begin to see that, once again, the Bible translators are trying to push their agenda of an eternal place of burning by putting words in Jesus' mouth. Jesus never said, hell fire. The concept is not even Greek in origin. Jesus did not support the concept of eternal punishment in hell or Hades for anyone. It is significant that the writers of the Bible do not use the word Hades in this instance. The word Gehenna is like the hell of Death Valley, but no one would conclude that it, Gehenna, is actually the real hell. Every instance where the translators use the English phrase hell fire, the actual word in the New Testament is Gehenna, a word of Hebrew origin and the names of a real place, not Hades, the mythical land of the dead. You see, it is a lie of astronomical proportions to say that Hades is real and a real place of torment. The Greeks didn't even think that. The Hebrew truth, the words themselves, do not support such a concept either. The proof of the aforementioned facts is seen in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. The translators, hence the fundamentalist Christian camp, have once again been upstaged by the original writers of the Bible. O death, where is thy sting? O grave Hades, where is thy victory? This is a classic bait-and-switch technique used by fundamentalists and others to cover the truth of Scripture. This verse, with the use of the word Hades and all that it implies, is now translated grave by the translators who insist that Hades must exist forever. Hence, they cover up the word Hades when the verse proves that Hades the myth is swallowed up in destroyed in the resurrection of the righteous. 
the grave, Hades, has no victory or subjects after the judgment of God. The verse in 1 Corinthians 15 also shows that the grave, Hades, and the dead and death are no more. It says that the mortal shall put on immortality after they come out of Hades, the grave. See, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 through 54. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell, Hades, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 through 15. The truth is that even the myths of ancient Egypt and Greco-Roman worlds will be destroyed by the power of the Lord at his much-anticipated return, sometimes referred to as the second coming of Jesus the Messiah. 1 Corinthians 15 proves that the whole concept as held by the fundamentalist Christians is not supported by the word. The truth is disregarded for the mythological nonsense. The Greek, the Greeks themselves do not support good, bad people burning in Hades. The Roman Catholic Church, recognizing this fact, says that Hades, or hell, isn't open yet. So they came up with purgatory, a place where bad people only are held until a future date. The holding place for all is Sheol, the grave. The word, the Bible, demands that the truth be known. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which are asleep in Jesus, will God bring with him, for this we say unto you 
by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. I want to pause here from my reading, and I want to emphasize this verse, so that the words, with him, God will bring with him, is once again a mistranslation by the translators, because what it's referring to is the idea that God will not leave behind those that are asleep, those that are dead in the grave. God is not bringing souls, living souls from heaven with him, the souls of the departed dead, as fundamentalist, Baptist, Christians, and other denominational fundamentalist Christians assert. Let me be clear. This lie of monumental proportions that when you're dead, you're not really dead, but you're floating around somewhere in heaven or hell or purgatory, is a monstrous lie of Greek mythological proportions. And the Bible forbids such ideas. This is very clear here in these verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. So that God bringing with him those that are asleep is that they will be raised back to life and that we which are alive at the same time will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord. This is the truth. No one is left behind. In the phrase, God will bring with him the words together and with and him come from the Greek words meaning spontaneous and complete resemblance. In other words, once again, the translators have tried to hide the fact that the words son and atomos, tatos, which are the Greek words translated with and him, actually refer to the fact that Christ, when he comes again, is bringing his full resemblance or immortality to place on them which are asleep as well as them that are alive who will be caught up together with each other and the Lord in the air at the same time. 
and thus be with the Lord forever. The dead and the living rise to meet in the air with the Lord. This statement forever puts to rest the Christian secret rapture of the church going before the dead in Christ. The truth of the word says simultaneously together at the second coming of the Lord Jesus the Christ. The verses of 1 Thessalonians, which we just quoted, put an end to the conservative Christian doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture of the Christian church. In the phrase, the dead in Christ rise first, then we which are alive and remain, clearly Paul includes himself in the living that remain. In other words, the living church does not go to heaven before the dead in Christ, the church in the grave. The second point Paul makes is that the dead in Christ are still in the ground. The words with and him are the translator's narrow application of the words son and automatos, hetau, respectively. The word sun, pronounced soon, also means complete resemblance and assembly. In other words, with is the idea of complete resemblance or power of reconstruction. And the him is in fact the automatus or automatic personage of everything pertaining to God. In other words, the automatic, spontaneous regeneration of mortal man who will put on immortality in the twinkling of an eye, the resemblance of God himself. See 1 Corinthians 15, verse 53. You see, the translators, once again, refuse to look at the words and compare Scripture with Scripture. The truth is hidden in the words themselves. See Job 4.17, Romans 6.12, Romans 8.11, and compare those verses with 1 Corinthians 15, 53, 54, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, 1 Timothy 1, 17, 1 Timothy 6, 16. The absolute evidence 
of the misapplication of the word and the truth in the word in the words become very obvious with the way the translators try to twist and dodge the self-induced fatal flaw bullet of bad linguistics due to the hidden agenda and blatant disregard of the basic rules of comparative word usage. Unless we approach the truth for the truth's sake, we shall bring in our own personal opinions and prejudices to bear on our understanding of what we accept as the basic truth before us. Some people believe that the pure truth is not available to anyone, creating a vacuum of any reasonable thought and consensus. Theologians pride themselves in being able to bypass the obvious basic truth by insisting on a backwards approach to logic, knowing what they want to see as a theological conclusion, they work back from a given theological camp and create think tanks which spew out information which is slanted towards that end. Of course, no one wants to admit to stacking the deck in their favor, but when we exclude people or ideas based on specific ideas which cannot be referenced through comparison word association, we run the risk of missing the mark of excellence which the word itself demands. The obvious platform which has been built by the translators, hence the fundamentalist Christian camp, is the belief in the idea that foundation foundations may be built on misstated fact and the creation of mythological perspectives from mythological sources themselves. Then they act as if they have not actually done this. My primary example is demonstrated in the word usage of the word Hades. The editors and translators have seen and have been so insistent that this word was used by the Old Testament writers of Scripture that they insist on slanting the facts in that direction. 
even while the translators are saying the Hades concept is of Greek creation, the fact is overlooked when they write their editorial notes on the concepts of Sheol and Hades. Furthermore, the translators' statements that concluded that the Hebrew language is compatible with the Greek language to such a degree that the words Sheol and Hades are identical in meaning are less than honest. Similarities always can be noted without making sweeping statements which are difficult to support through word etymology. In the editor's notes of the New King James Version, which is a Thomas Nelson publication, we can see a concerted effort to make it appear that the scriptural ideas are presented to support the editor's notes. The following quote shows the emphasis Comments on Genesis 6-3. My Spirit, capital S, My Spirit. This is the second reference in the to the Holy Spirit in Genesis. The first is in anticipation of order and wonder. Verses 1, verse 2. This is... Second is in anticipation of destruction. And the Lord said, My spirit, capital S, shall not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet his days shall be one hundred and twenty years. Genesis 6. Verse 3. The first fact is apparent, and that is that the new King James Version capitalized the word spirit in the phrase my spirit, whereas the King James Version of 1611 and the editions that followed later do not capitalize the word, even though it is used in conjunction with the word Lord, as in IHVH, the Tetragrammaton, Jehovah. At first, we assume that these translators are being more consistent, lending to the belief that they are going to capitalize each and every Hebrew phrase, Spirit of the Lord. But the real agenda of these translators is seen in the editor's comments. The word spirit is being emphasized as the Lord's Holy Spirit. But the question begs to be asked, is there a Hebrew word used exclusively 
for the Holy Spirit? What makes this verse so special that the translators know that this word phrase deserves capitalization? What is going on? Well, the truth be known, the translators are building the belief that they know the difference between one word. Yes, one word. The word is the Hebrew word given a number in a Strong's concordance, biblical concordance of 7307, or Ruach. The translators are saying that they know that the phrase Spirit of the Lord, capital S, or Lord's Spirit, capital S, or My Spirit, capital S, means Holy Spirit, when the word Spirit is from 7307, which is the word Ruach. As we mentioned earlier, we must keep in mind that the translators and editors want you to think that the word Ruach is special, in that it refers exclusively to rational spirits slash souls. Hence, must be used to infer God's Holy Spirit. When we turn the page, voila, the word 7307, Ruach, which the editors and translators say was exclusively the Holy Spirit of God, the Trinity, Spirit, capital S, is this word is used in Genesis 7.15 to talk about the spirit, small s, of unclean animals. Genesis 7.15 And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, in which was the Ruach breath. Now, the first fact we see is that the same translators of the New King James Version did not capitalize the word Spirit, 7307, which is Ruach. But you say the word is breath, not spirit. And now you know the truth. The translators have gone out of their way to hide the fact that the word breath is the exact same word they just said was exclusively used for the Holy Spirit of God. These theologians are so scared that you will find out the truth that their notes don't even comment on the fact that the word breath and spirit were taken from the same word Ruach, 7307. Furthermore, after making a big deal about only God, man's spirit being used with the word Ruach, it is used by the original writers to describe the unclean animals which went into the Ark of Noah. By changing the word into a different word in English, 
the translators, hence the fundamentalist Christian camp, think you will never know that the word is the exact same word which they claim only applies to God, man's spirit, soul. And the cover-up goes on. Since the phrase in English, breath of life, is used here in Genesis, some argue that it is the breath of life phrase that is God's spirit, hence soul of man. The problem with that kind of statement is that the phrase is an English phrase, not a Hebrew one. But it does bring up an interesting point. The idea that the translators and editors tell us that 7307, Ruach, applies to rational, immortal souls only, quote-unquote, would mean that the phrase breath of life must be used exclusively when we use the word Ruach. 7307. So now we are going to look at the phrase breath of life. It is used many places in scripture. We have seen it used with the word ruach for the spirit of God, capital S, and the spirit slash breath of animals. So we figure, hey, we'll find it used for Man, too. So we look at Genesis 2, verse 7. The place where God makes man. Sure enough, the phrase breath of life is there. The translators are home free. But, wait. The word used to create the phrase breath of life in Genesis Two, verse 7, isn't 7307. The word translated breath, spirit, soul, in Genesis 2, verse 7, isn't the translator's favorite exclusive ruach. It's a different word. It's nehema, or 5397 which means literally to puff, to blow away as in to destroy. Then the translators add animal sentiment only. Translated soul slash spirit slash breath. See Strong's Concordance. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, slash soul, in English. Genesis 2, verse 7. The phrase breath of life here is made up from 
a word in Hebrew meaning to blow. The translators are now going to shoot themselves in the foot. They comment on this phrase, breath of life, like it means something special. Remember we have seen it used for God's spirit, man's soul, or being, and animals, the unclean of the ark. Comments on Genesis 2 verse 7 on the phrase living being and breath from the New King James Version comments. Although God created light with a mere word, Genesis 1 3, he created man by fashioning a body out of mud and clay, transforming the clay into something new, and then breathing life into it. This breath may be the narrative's narrator's way of describing the infusion of the human spirit with its moral, intellectual, rational, and spiritual capacities. God showed tender care and intimate concern in the way he shaped man. Phrase, living being. This is the same term that was used of animal life in Genesis 1 verse 24. It is this phrase. In this phrase, we see how humans and animal life are similar, but the breath of life phrase makes humans distinct from all other creatures. Let me pause here for my reading and let me make a point. I know this is way into the weeds for many of you, but this is essential information for understanding where the truth comes from, where the truth is taking us, and why the truth has been lost in the Christian fundamentalist world. My friends, the theologians, the fundamentalist evangelical Christians are lying to you. They do not want you to actually know the saving truth as it is in Jesus. Oh yeah, they pretend to be sanctimonious. They pretend to care. They pretend to tell you what the Bible says. But they are lying to you about the truth as it is in Jesus the Christ. Make no mistake. It is of the most importance that we study to show ourselves approved. Workmen that need not be ashamed. So, the translators here are suggesting that the phrase breath of life and the other breath 
which is used for animals as well, is somehow different. And the breath of life phrase, which only appears in English, is special. Once again, ignoring the fact that the words are used interchangeably for animal breath, animal life, heart, mind, soul, God's Holy Spirit. Continuing on, now you can see that these translators want you to think that the phrase breath of life not only is found in Hebrew, but applies only to man. The fact that Genesis 2-7, Genesis 7-15, Genesis 6-3, and Job 33-4 all use the phrase breath of life and or are derived from the same root word shows that the translators are desperately trying to hold onto a concept that the words or phrases themselves cannot support. The word ruach is not exclusive to God, man, or animals. The phrase breath of life is not exclusive to either the word ruach or to man's spirit slash soul or God's spirit capital S for that matter the idea that the breath slash soul slash spirit of man is different from animals is not supported by the Bible writers themselves regardless of the insistence of the translators, hence the Christian evangelical fundamentalists. By the editors commenting on Genesis 2, 7, and not commenting on the same word, breath, in Genesis 7.15, and then saying that animals and humans are not the same in breath, spirit, or soul because of the phrase breath of life, in which they even fail to capitalize the word breath, it is shown how insane these theologians have become trying to sidetrack the sincere seeker of truth. I must agree with the translators when they say that, quote, the Bible readers may be assured that the most important differences in the English New Testament of today are due not to manuscript divergence, but the way in which translators view the task of translation, unquote. I would say that it is safe to say that the above statement from the translators themselves applies to the Old Testament as well. What is clear is that intellectual insights are not enough to keep human beings from getting away 
from the basic truth of the word. Agendas of such mythic proportions are held onto by those who know better just because they think that it is a necessity to save the camp of their own creation. The last nail in the coffin of the translators comes when we look at the comments of the translators and editors, hence the conservative evangelical fundamentalist camp of mythic creation, on the text in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 18 through 21. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beasts. Even one thing befalleth them. As the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath. 7307 Ruach. So that a man hath no preeminence above a beast. For all is vanity. All go one place. All are of the dust and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit, 7307 Ruach, of man, whether the spirit of man goeth upward, and whether the spirit, 7303 Ruach, of man and of beast goeth downward to the earth. In the New King James Version, the word weather was changed to the word which, so that the same text reads, I said in my heart concerning the creation of the sons of God, tests, them, that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to the animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all return to dust. Who knows the spirit, Ruach, of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit, Ruach, of the animal, which goes down to the earth. In the following comments on the above verses, the editors added this note. For verse 3, verse 21, Septuagint, Syriac, Targum, Vulgate translations read, Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and whether the spirit of animal goes upward downward to the earth. Now listen to the comments of the editors of the New King James 
version explaining that the phrase one breath from their word 7307 ruach doesn't mean one breath commentating on the verse one breath from ecclesiastes 319 the hebrew expression might be translated one spirit or one wind the phrase in this case describes breath as the sign and symbol of life See verse eight, verse chapter eight, verse eight. See Genesis chapter six, verse seventeen, seven fifteen, verse twenty-two. In this, humanity and animals are alike. But see verse twenty-one. Advantage. Proverbs fourteen twenty-three. In all labor, there is profit, and in Proverbs twenty-one five, the plans of the diligent lead surely to plenty. Commenting on the phrase all go to one place from Ecclesiastes 3.20 and 21, both humans and beasts die and go to the grave, but this is not the end for human beings. They will face eternal life or death. The rhetorical question who knows, occurs six times in the Hebrew Bible outside of Ecclesiastes. Occurs in Second Samuel, Esther, Psalms, Proverbs, Joel, John 3, verse 9. And four times in Ecclesiastes 2.19, People and animals differ their bodies go back to the dust from which they came. But the human spirit is immortal, unquote. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Also, their love, their hatred, and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5 and 6. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave, where you are going. Ecclesiastes 9.10 The elements of consciousness and conscious knowledge are here described as not being in the grave. There is no love, hate, envy, word, device, or knowledge. Emotions are absent. Hence, no experience or wisdom is in the grave. The editor's comments on these verses reveal the absolute departure of these translators from the truth of the word. The comments on Ecclesiastes 9.5 from the New King James Version reads, and I quote, This again is not a flat denial of any hope beyond the grave, 
The point of view is limited to what can be known strictly from a human point of view under the sun, unquote. The comments on Ecclesiastes 9.10, quote, It is possible that the Apostle Paul had this verse in mind when he wrote, And whatever you do, do it heartily as into the Lord, and not to men. Colossians 3, verse 23. No work in the grave. This affirmation is not a denial of a personal future state after death. Yet in relation to this world, the possibilities of working and learning have ceased. If we plan to do anything to the glory of God in this world, we had better do it while we still have time, unquote. It is abundantly clear that the translators, the editors of the translation teams, and all the different schools of theology which they represent are so far from the obvious truth of the words themselves that everything from the signing of the verbal inspiration statement to their hidden agendas, which they cling to in the face of the most direct and blatant statements of the Bible, writers themselves, leaves your head spinning. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10.28, Jesus the Christ. It seems quite incomprehensible that intelligent scholars are so willing to be blinded by their desire to push an agenda that cannot be supported by the words, phrases, or context of the scriptures and the original writer's concepts of God's spirit and the truth about life and the death process. The fact that the word spirit in all its Hebrew forms has been used interchangeably by the writers in the beginning and the fact that different Hebrew words have been made into the same phrase in English, which even the translators themselves can't keep straight by applying the phrase such as the breath of life and even admitting that the single word in Hebrew can be deemed wind, spirit, soul, breath, even fish, and then turning right around and saying something which is not supported by the use of the word itself by the original writers is nothing short of diabolical. The father of lies 
has divested himself into the mythic thinking of some of the greatest minds of science and hence religions throughout the world as well. The truth at its most basic level has been discarded for theories which have no foundation in the words of truth or truth itself. The dead know nothing. This statement, in the light of all that surrounds the concepts of mortal man, whose breath and soul is one and the same as the animals, can have only one conclusion. The truth of the word says the dead know nothing. The translators themselves know this to be true and make every attempt intellectually possible to cover up the fact. When we compare the word ruach the word which the editors and translators insist must be used exclusively for the rational, immortal soul. In the text of Ecclesiastes 11, 4, 5, and 7, the whole scheme becomes clear. Remember that the translators insist that the word ruach must mean immortal soul. Coding from Ecclesiastes 11, verse 5. And you do not know what is the way of the wind. 7307 Ruach. Or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. So you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the preface of the King James Version, the editor stated that context, context, context is the key to understanding the words of Scripture. As we can see, the verse in question is talking about the wind, ruach, spirit, soul, and the bones inside the womb. So the translators say in the footnotes that the word wind can be translated spirit in this verse. Well, how nice of them. But wait. They completely ignore the fact that the very same word ruach appears in the same context in verse 4 of Ecclesiastes 11. Let's take a look. He who observes the wind, Ruach, will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. Ecclesiastes 11.4 How is it that the translators make it a point to let you know that the word Ruach is 
can be translated spirit in verse 5, but fail to let you know that the same is true for the word wind, ruach, in verse 4. The reason is simple. The translators want you to think that something in the original Hebrew language told them that there is a difference between ruach wind and of nature and ruach wind slash spirit slash soul of man in relation to the bones that grow in the womb phrase. But this distinction is not present. The translators are once again trying, hoping against hope that the reader will make the same assumptions which they have chosen to make about the word ruach, soul, slash spirit, slash breath, slash wind. Sadly, most people have been completely snowed by this tactic of the translators, hence the Christian evangelical fundamentalist camp. Now please notice that in the next chapter, Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, the word ruach appears again. This time, the fact that ruach is the spirit of man is brought out by the translators. They bait you in chapter 11 and switch in chapter 12. Now, the translators want you to assume that they have a reason to go to the English word spirit instead of sticking with the word wind as they did in Ecclesiastes 11 verses 4 and 5. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Ruach, spirit, will return to God who gave it, Ecclesiastes 12, 7. Now it becomes perfectly clear. The translators want you to think that they can tell that Ruach, wind, slash spirit, slash soul, can be somehow, in this verse, immortal soul of man. But in the last chapter, it was Ruach, the wind of nature. Keep in mind that the translators have already stipulated that the word Ruach is used exclusively to indicate the rational, immortal soul of God or man, but not of animals. This attempt by the translators to use Greek mythological concepts to read into the words of Hebrew is absurd. While these editors and translators admit that the JW camp, Jehovah's Witnesses, have read their own ideas which cannot be supported by the Greek language into John chapter 1 verse 1. These translators are doing the very same thing in Hebrew with the word Ruach. It has been shown previously that the phrase Spirit of the Lord 
is non-existent in Hebrew as such, and that the translators use many words, even admittedly simple animal sentiment, wind and breath, to create this phrase in English. So now the translators, hence the fundamentalist, conservative, Christian, camp, evangelicals, and all other camps, which insist on using tactics in translation which are deceptive and downright wrong from a linguistic point of view, deserve to be held up to the strictest scrutiny. And as truth seekers, we should demand the truth in its pure, unadulterated form. Spiritual life is the key to knowing the truth. Intangibles of love and joy need to be accepted by faith into our lives so that we may honestly search for the truth of the word. We have a decision to make. We have choices that we must think about. We can choose to follow the mythological fantasy world of fundamentalist theologians with their made-up mythology from Greco-Roman sources, Egyptian ideologies, which are nothing more than fanciful concepts about how to obtain eternal life, which not only are inaccessible within the Holy Scriptures, the Word of God, the Bible, but these ideas must be discarded if we are to obtain eternal life as it is in Jesus the Christ. We must choose to accept the very words of Scripture as they read, not as they've been translated or interpreted by editors and translators who added their own ideologies to the comments and the footnotes of the Bible. We must choose. Are we going to listen to the theologians that promote Greek mythology? Or are we going to study the Bible, study the Word of God for ourselves, and pray that the Spirit of God will enter our lives and allow us to 
be transformed and give us the mind of Christ. We must choose whether or not we want eternal life, whether or not we want to know the mind of God, whether or not we want to live a life in truth and purity and in the light which is revealed through the darkness. It is important that we choose our thoughts, choose our life, choose the way in which we're going to live. It is only when we choose to follow the truth as it is in Jesus the Christ that we will find peace of mind and our eternal destiny. You have been listening to The Dark Light. Thank you for joining us. Please like Subscribe and tell your friends about the Dark Light podcast. We would love to have you here each and every day to discover the light in the darkness.